0: This morning, if you have your Bible turned to 1 Timothy chapter 3, Uh, we're going to look at verses 8 through 13 and continue our little study on what is a deacon and what are deacons supposed to do and what are their qualifications. We learned last week that deacons are God's special servants to the church. That uh, they're men uh, who serve in the body to meet specific needs, important needs that come up. Um, Needs that uh, are so important that faithful people need to do them and needs which, if they aren't met, will often draw the elders away from doing what God has asked them to do. You know, we've all been served. Uh, From birth, we're served. Our mothers serve us and other people serve us. And because we're sinners and because we have sin natures, we kind of like it when people serve us. Uh, That's just uh, how we are. Uh, Selfishness comes naturally. Yet, when we place our faith in Christ, as we grow in the Lord, as we discover our gifts, we should all become servants. All of us need to be serving one another. Yet, because certain ministries are of high priority, the ministry to the needy, ministry to the widows, ministries which maybe require um, people of great integrity, God has called the church to appoint deacons, qualified, tested individuals who will meet others' needs in a faithful way. Christ modeled this in His ministry as He washed the disciples' feet in John 13. You remember what he said, For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Taking upon the lowest duty of just the lowest servant, Jesus washed the disciples' feet and then said, I did this, disciples, as an example for you to follow. And that is what deacons are. They're great models of servanthood in the church. Qualified godly people who come alongside the elders to serve the body. And as we all have gifts and we're all called to serve, deacons have a special place. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, As each one has received a special gift from God, employ it in serving one another as Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So, we aren't just saying that deacons alone are to be serving, but because certain tasks require people of faithfulness, godliness, God says you've got to find these extra faithful, extra godly people, and you need to appoint them to the task of serving the church. Well, that is what we're looking at today in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And last week, just to summarize a little bit about what we learned, we learned that really the word deacon, the formal title, office of deacon, only appears twice in the Bible. Here, twice in the text before us, and then again in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, where it just, Paul says, hi to the overseers and deacons. And those are the only texts that really mention the official office. We did look at Acts 10 or Acts 6, rather, and we looked at, at that text where the early church was being formed, where all these people had come in from other countries to celebrate um, uh, just Pentecost, a, a pilgrim feast, and while they were all there and they were all celebrating Pentecost, um, of course, God chose at that strategic moment to start the church. And as the church was was uh, just exploding in numbers, all of a sudden, the needs exploded with it people were staying beyond their means because they wanted to hear the gospel people who had come to faith did not want to return to their countries because they wanted to stick around and learn from the apostles about the messiah and thousands were coming to the lord and people were overextending their stay and then they didn't have the means and People were hungry, and so God just moved in the church to be extra gracious and generous, and people were selling their property and and sharing all things in common. And in the course of all of this, what happened was, is is the, the apostles who were called to be preachers of the gospel, to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, were being diverted um, they had to serve people because there were needs and when there you know people have needs you can't just say well hey you know I'm a preacher and uh, you know you go ahead and be warm and filled but I've got to pray and there was this dilemma so they appointed these seven men now they are not specifically called deacons but they kind of serve as prototype deacons most commentators believe and then from that and from their model they believe most uh, theologians and scholars believe that the whole office of deacon uh, arose, faithful men who would come alongside the elders to serve the body so that those ones called to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word could do that as a primary focus and uh, yet still have these important ministry needs met by faithful men and women. So deacons are kind of like the holy angels. They are, um, they are servants. Hebrews um, in chapter 1, verse 14, speaking of angels says, "...are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation?" That is basically exactly what deacons do. Are they not all ministering deacons sent out to render service um, to the saints? So deacons are not to be seen as uh, as as uh, elders in training. Necessarily, you might have a deacon who has the gift of teaching, but maybe his uh, understanding of the scriptures is not uh, developed enough where he feels comfortable both exhorting in sound doctrine and refuting those who contradict. And maybe at a later time, he might uh, serve as an elder after he grows in his understanding of the scriptures. But don't think of it as, you know, deacons or like, you know, elders who didn't cut it. And so we just, you know, oh, well, those people didn't make it. So then we, you know, made them deacons. That's not how it is at all. They have basically the exact same qualifications as elders. They're supposed to be spiritual. They're supposed to be godly. They're supposed to be faithful. All of these things mentioned in the text before us. And yet, they are not required to be able to teach or exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go through this text... Some of the the qualifications we've already looked at in some detail as we've kind of picked our way through the elder qualifications. So those are going to kind of go by a little quicker since they overlap, uh, the qualifications for deacon and elder. And then we'll slow down on the ones that we haven't looked at yet. And we'll discuss this whole business of women in verse 11, which is a, a problem passage, and you'll see why in a minute. But if you have your Bibles, follow along as we read 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. Paul says this, deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double tongue or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are above or beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be the husbands of one or only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who serve well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus." Now, notice that Paul begins, verse 8, with deacons likewise must be. Now, we have seen this subject of deacons being addressed, but he says deacons likewise must be. Now, the word likewise is a key transitional phrase that Paul uses in this passage, where he says... Uh, for instance, in chapter 2, verse 1, likewise, I want women. He talks about men, then says, likewise, I want women. Then in chapter 3, he begins addressing elders. And then he says, deacons, verse 8, likewise must be. And then he says in verse 11, women must likewise be. And so this is kind of his transitional phrase. And when he has the word likewise, he's not talking about something identical, but something that is similar Something that is similar to what proceeds before it. So just like elders hold an office in a church, so deacons hold an office in the church. And because of that, likewise, they must be qualified. The absoluteness is seen in the word must be. And the word must be actually does not appear in the Greek text in verse 8, but it is implied by what is called an ellipsis. That is, when Paul says in chapter 3, verse 2, an overseer then must be, and he lists the qualifications, then he says, deacons likewise implied must be. He says the same thing in verse 11. Women, and it's must be is not in the text, but is implied, must likewise be. And then he states it again in verse 12. Deacons, and he does put it in the text, must be husbands of one wife. So we're talking about absolute qualities. You don't just pick a deacon because he's a good guy and, oh yeah, I know, old, you know, Bob, he's a swell guy or whatever. And, and uh, oh, he's fun to be around so he can be a deacon. That's not what we do. It's not how we pick elders. It's not how we pick deacons either. They must meet these qualifications because God says they must meet these qualifications. Now the first thing we see that deacons must be is men of dignity. And this word dignity describes a person's outward appearance and behavior which reveals their inner heart attitude and thoughts. And we've seen this before with Elders. Elders need to be this way also. Uh, If you're going to have a deacon and he is to be someone, when you look at him, when you talk at him, um, he is a person of dignity. It basically means a person worthy of respect, commanding respect just by his behavior and his appearance. He would not be somebody who was slovenly or coarse jesting or anything, showed anything in the outside in his behavior or his appearance that would disqualify him. The second qualification of a deacon uh, is not double-tongued. This is an interesting word in the Greek. It's de-lagos. It is the word lagos, the word we get word from, usually translated word. And then the word d, which means two. It means two-worded or two-tongued or double-tongued or double-worded. In the old westerns, if you remember, um, you know, whenever the white men uh, broke their treaty with the Indians, uh, the Indians would say, you speak with forked tongue. Because they deceived them. They told them one thing, and then what? They did the other thing. And that is what he's talking about here. Don't take a person who tells you one thing and yet does another, or speaks one thing to one person and then another thing to another person. It's kind of like Proverbs 23, verses 6 and 7, where Solomon warns of eating the bread of a selfish man. And this is what he says. Do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. For as he thinks within himself, so is he. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. That is a double-minded, double-tongued man. He says, oh, sit down, you know, just eat up, eat up. And all the while he's going, don't you touch my food. And there are some people in the church who, you know, you see them in the foyer, oh, hi, how you doing? And then they walk over and go, oh, you know so-and-so, and then they stab you to death. They, they slander you, and they gossip about you, and they complain about you when no one's looking. These people are not to be made deacons, because they end up creating uh, just chaos in the church fracturing the church, causing discord among the believers. And because deacons are to be appointed to very sensitive areas of ministry, you wouldn't want somebody like that going around speaking out of both sides of their mouth, as it is said, um, causing disturbances. So they're not to be double-tongued. The third qualification is that they are not to be addicted to much wine. This we saw again with um, elders. Uh, We talked about in the New Testament how uh, uh, times, there was basically a couple beverages. You know, you would drink water or wine. I mean, those are like your two choices. It's not like today when you go to the store and there's, you know, 300 different things to drink. Back then, you kind of had these two staple things to drink. And because of this, wine was very popular, it was very common, and it was very easy to indulge in it and to get drunk. And the scriptures strictly forbid being drunk. And we learn from texts like uh, Proverbs uh, 30 or 31 at the beginning in the first 10 verses where uh, uh, Lemuel's mother um, told him that, listen, it is not right for kings or rulers to drink wine because it impairs their judgment and then they forget what they've decreed. And so Paul is just saying, don't be given over to wine. Don't be addicted to wine. Um, And, you know, in our culture, since we have so many things that we can drink that, you know, you aren't going to... Gatorade is not going to impair your judgment. And so you can just drink it all you want or, you know, whatever, Diet Coke or orange juice or, you know, a million other things. That it'd probably be best to just stay away from that so that you don't come into the place where you go beyond your limits and pretty soon the alcohol's taking over. And I think this would apply to any sort of substance that would control your mind or or impair your judgment. Then the fourth qualification, if you look at the text... He says, not fond of sordid gain. He's not to be fond of sordid gain. And again, we saw this already. It just means not a lover of money. Um, it's a person who only wants what they've worked hard to achieve. Not somebody who is pilfering, not somebody who is scamming people. You know, obviously, the, you know, the elders would, you know, appoint deacons, you know, to handle the church funds, and, you know, they don't want the offering to be given, and then these people up there dividing up the money and pocketing and pilfering from the church coffers, they don't want that to happen. And so they want somebody who is not fond of sordid gain. And the fifth quality listed is a positive one. The word but contrasts the things a deacon is not to be. ...with what he is to be. Look at verse 9. It says, holding to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. Now, what is that? What is the mystery of faith? Well, in the New Testament, whenever you look at the word mystery, this is what it means. It means something never before revealed or something never before revealed to the extent that it is now being revealed... In other words, the mystery is something now revealed in the New Testament, namely, the teachings about Christ and the teachings about Christianity. A deacon is one who understands the New Testament teachings of Christianity, the mystery of the faith, and he holds those with a clear conscience. Now, as we've already seen, Paul is really concerned about the conscience. We see that all the way through his his letters, The conscience, to Paul, is the number one indicator of a person standing before God. We've seen how the conscience is kind of like um, the divine smoke alarm that God gives you, which, if it's working right, goes off when either sin is approaching or sin is engaged in. And it starts screaming at you, telling you to either run or stop or whatever. And we've also seen that those who ignore their conscience end up searing it. It's kind of like when, you know, you're burning the toast in the kitchen and you're tired of the smoke alarm going off. And so what do you do? You reach up there and you rip out the battery. That's like the person who, when their conscience goes off and it says, hey, this is a sin. You're getting close here. I would run. I would, I wouldn't do this. Then they just jerk the battery out and they pop it out of their mind, they ignore their conscience. And if you do that long enough, you would get what Paul called a seared conscience or an evil, unbelieving conscience. And so the deacon is one who is to hold on to the teachings of Christianity with this clear conscience. Jonathan Edwards, uh, who is the great intellect and Puritan-like preacher of uh, the, um, the Great Awakening in America, he compared the, con- the conscience to a sundial. He said, the conscience is a sundial, and what makes the sundial work correctly is the sun, which is like the word of God. And as long as the word of God is shining down on that sundial, then the sundial will have a correct reading. But if you take any other light source and try and use it in place of the sun, then it gives you a false reading. He says, the conscience in like manner, as long as it is always being informed by the word of God, will work right and will not be a weak conscience or a seared conscience. As long as you are living by what the word of God says, then your conscience will be clean and pure before God. Now, the sixth quality Paul mentions for a deacon is that these men must also be first tested. And he says, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Now, this is similar to what we learned about deacons not being a new convert. And uh, we learned that in verses uh, 6 of uh, um, the preceding context, just how if you get a new convert and you thrust them into a ministry that's high responsibility and high profile, that pretty soon you can think, you know, I'm pretty bad. I'm an elder of this church and you need to do what I say. And pretty soon, you can think you're something when you're not. And then you can begin to lord it over people instead of seeing yourself and as the servant of all. And then you fall in conceit, and that conceit becomes a snare, and uh, the condemnation which Satan had brought upon him when he became proud, all of a sudden becomes brought upon this person who has become conceited. So he's not to be a new convert, um, but first tested. And that's just common sense. You don't take somebody and put them into an area of high responsibility if they aren't tested. So you would test the person. Um, Just give them a little bit and try them out and give them something else and try them out and give them something else. See if they're faithful, see if they fall through, see if they come on time, see if they do it in a godly way. And to test them first before they become deacons. Proverbs 26.10 says, Like an archer who wounds everyone... And being a bow hunter, I understand this one. Like an archer who wounds everyone, so is he who hires a fool or who hires those who pass by. You don't just go out and hire somebody who's a fool or some passerby you know nothing about. Because those people will cause more trouble than good often. They must first be tested. That is what God requires of deacons. And then, if they are tested, and then, if they are found to be above reproach, and the word above reproach, remember, meant unable to grasp or legitimately accuse, then they can serve as deacons. Now, this is where we get into one of the naughty issues of the text. Verse 11. Look there and notice what it says. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Now, there's some debate about who these women are who are being spoken of in verse 11. There's four basic views, and this is what they are. First, some people believe they are women who function in the exact same capacity as deacons. Secondly, other people think they function as deaconesses. They actually create a term, deaconesses, serving like deacons, but in a different capacity. So one would see them being exactly equal to deacons, having the same office, the same exact function. Another group would see them as being deaconesses, serving as almost a third office, an office of deaconess, but in a different capacity. Then there are those who would see them kind of as female assistants to deacons. And fourth, there are those who see them as the wives of deacons. Now, each Bible translation, and it depends what kind you have, kind of reflects the view of the translators. Let me just show you. The ones who believe that the text is addressing women in general... We'll translate it, women. And this is true in the New American Standard Bible or the American Standard Version of 1901 or Young's Literal Translation or the Amplified Bible, the New Century Version or the Revised Standard Version. And the, the Greek word is gune, woman, and guess what? It can be translated women or wives. And the context always determines which one it is. And so, as you look at some Bibles, like if you have the King James or New King James, you will see that it says wives. And it almost just colors the verse to make you assume that it's talking about deacons' wives. If you have another version, like the New American Standard or something, it it says women, which makes you think that they aren't deacons' wives. So each version kind of reveals a bias of how this word, gune, is to be translated. Now, some say verse 11 should be translated wives... And, and they would interpret this verse kind of loosely like this. This is how they read it. The wives of deacons must likewise be. And so they see this whole verse as talking about deacons' wives. That if you're going to have a deacon, and he's going to be in an office, on an area of responsibility, make sure that that deacon has a godly wife, because she's obviously going to be serving alongside of him, and she needs to have these characteristics. Now, there's several reasons they believe this. And first, because it's legitimate to translate the Greek word wife. Um, And also, in verse 2, when it talks about an overseer must be the husband of one wife. And following, in verse 12, deacons must be the husband of one wife. The word wife there, which is clearly wife in both of those passages. You can't be the husband of one woman. It's who? Your wife. It's clearly wife. And so they'd say, well, see, um, it's translated wife here and here. Therefore, it should be translated wife. And that's, that's legitimate. That's one of the reasons why some people believe that. But just because husbands are required to have one wife, this does not mean they have to be married, does it? We learned that, that just because elders are to be one-woman men, that doesn't mean they have to be married. But since it's the normal case, if they are married, they need to be devoted in purity to that one wife. And they also say that because wives are mentioned in verse 12 along with children, they're just saying verse 11 is just describing the character of the wives before it describes the character of the the children. Now in spite of these arguments, I believe there's better reasons to just translate it women like most Bible versions. And this would be understood like this. Women who serve must likewise be. That's kind of a loose paraphrase of how I think it should be. Paul has addressed male deacons in verses 8 through 10. Then he stops. He addresses women. And then he addresses deacons again in verse 12. And we see this same pattern in chapter 2. You remember we talked about in chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions. And he talks about all these things we are to pray for. And then in verse 8, what does he say? He says, Therefore I want men. And he uses a specific Greek term for men. It's not anthropos, the general term, but aner, a term that means male only. I want adult males only to lead in prayer and public worship, uh, praying, lifting up holy hands. Then he says in verse nine, likewise, I want women. And then in chapter three, he starts back with men again in elders. And so he addresses men. I want you to lead in this way. Now, women in public worship be this way. Men are to have these qualifications. And then he comes down here and he says, deacons, I want to have these qualifications. Women do this, have these qualifications. Men, deacons, do this. So it's a pattern he's already established. And also, if you look at the text, there's several reasons for taking this word gune to be uh, women. And that is also the word likewise, because the word likewise indicates a change. And it's clear from the text, as you go through Paul, whenever he says likewise, he's speaking of something similar but different. And these women, obviously, because they're stuck right in the middle of deacons, are serving. I mean, all women are called to serve, but these women must have, like deacons, areas of higher responsibility. And so he's saying, now if a woman serves, make sure... She has these qualifications. Also, you want to look at this whole concept of deacons must be the husbands of one wife only. Now, this is how I look at it. When I look at this text, and I struggle with this text, I ask myself this. Okay, he says deacons, verse 8. And Paul is very clear in this text about who he's talking about, isn't he? Deacons, verse 8. They must be this way. Women, likewise, give some qualifications. Deacons must be. Do you see how he starts deacons? Goes down, hits women, hits likewise, talks about them, and then goes back to deacons? I think he departs, and I think he's talking about just women who serve. I think that's what he's saying there. Another reason is, is as he addresses these women, if he meant wives, he probably would have put the word therein, in the Greek. He probably would have said that their wives must be, but he doesn't use their wives. He just says women. And so if you were expecting him to be talking about the wives of deacons, he should have said that their wives must be, but he doesn't do that. That's another reason. And finally, when Paul gives these must-be qualifications for women... They're just like elders, they're just like deacons, and we are told in 3.2 that an overseer must be, and the deacons must be, and likewise the women must be. It shows just three distinct groups of people who serve in the body. And I think the reason he sticks them in here to let them know that women can serve... Even though they aren't serving as deacons, um, so to speak, they are serving, they are serving in very important areas, women that are, are areas that are appropriate for women, and that he wants them to be first qualified and have these qualifications. And then the final reason why I don't think it's talking about deacons' wives is, why would Paul stop in the middle of this section of deacons and, and say, deacons' wives have to be godly like this? when he doesn't do that for elders. When you look at elders in this text, or in Titus, or in 1 Peter 5, or in Acts 20, he never says, elders who have even a higher responsibility than deacons must have wives who are this way. He just says, this is what they're to be. So I don't think he's singling out deacons' wives. Now it doesn't mean that these women can't be deacons' wives, but I don't think that's their specific identity. So, Who are they? Simply, I believe they are women who serve alongside of deacons to assist the elders in meeting needs, special needs required, those needs that women could meet. For instance, you know, if if you were a deacon, you were a man, and all of a sudden there was a woman who was sick, or a woman who was going to have a baby. Or a woman who had some sort of need. You know, you wouldn't want to go over to her house and uh, alone because that might not look right. That might look bad. That might not be proper or not be abstaining from the appearance of evil. And so you would either want a woman to go by herself or you would want a woman to go with you. But not just any woman. You would want a faithful woman, somebody who was godly, somebody who wasn't going to gossip, and say, oh, you know what I found over at so-and-so's house, and, and spread that all around the church. You would want some godly, faithful woman. So that's why I think this text is te- teaching. Now, some people would say that, oh, no, these are deaconesses. And, and you know, the thing is, is, the text doesn't call them deaconesses. And then some people would say, well, no, no. <laughs> the reason they don't call them deaconesses is there's no word for deaconess in the Greek. But I want you to know, that never stopped Paul before. Paul creates all kinds of words that never exist outside of his writings. He is a great inventor of words. And it would be very easy for Paul just to have stuck on the feminine ending uh, onto deacon in order to make it a, a feminine uh, title. But he doesn't. He just says, women. So I think these women are godly women who serve in areas of high responsibility alongside the elders, under the elders' oversight, and alongside the deacons, faithfully with them to meet needs in the church. And he gives several qualifications. Look at them. The first one is is that they are to be dignified. And this is the same thing that we've seen that deacons need to have in verse 8. Their outward appearance, their behavior must reflect... Godly priorities. They are to be dressing to show off their body, show off their wealth, show off their social status. We read all about that in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, that women aren't to be using their appearance to attract attention to themselves or their wealth or social status, but they are to be godly and uh, using their... Their um, appearance and their behavior to give glory to God, not attract attention to themselves. Look at chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as it's proper for women making a claim to godliness. This is what he's talking about when he says they need to be dignified. Secondly, they cannot be malicious gossips. And this word in the Greek is the word diabolos, the word we get "devil" from. It's um, it, they aren't to be devils. Uh, they aren't to be accusers. The word "devil" is accuser. Um, you remember in uh, Revelation 12:10, uh, Satan is spoken of as the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. That is this word here. Um, women are not to be. Gossips. You don't take somebody in a very sensitive issue, uh, a very sensitive area of ministry, a, a ministry that requires confidence or whatever, and then put them into that and then have them go out and then begin to speak uh, all this stuff confidential information around the church. That is not good. Gossip is a very uh, sensitive sin, and gossip uh, keeps some really bad company in the scriptures when you look at uh, gossip. um, It is uh, basically to speak about somebody in such a way as to put them in a bad light. Let's say um, you're... uh, you know, you don't like somebody. Maybe somebody hurt your feelings, or, or somebody hurt somebody else's feelings you know, or, or somebody did something which you didn't like, and all of a sudden now, that bothers you. And so instead of going to that person and saying, you know, you hurt my feelings when you said this, it bothered me, and give that person a chance to say, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? Instead, you begin to gossip. oh You know, so-and-so. And And you begin to look at their life and what often happens in marriage. You focus on the 5% of things they do that are not good and to the exclusion of the 95% of the things they are doing good. And so you go around talking about that 5% of negative things and you just share that with person after person after person after person. That is being a devil, a diabolos, a malicious gossip. And those kind of people who are deacons cannot... Be that way. That is uh, just something that would just disqualify them from being a deacon. Proverbs 20:19 says, "He who goes about as a, a slanderer, reveals secret. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip." He equates slanderers, this talebearer, with being a gossip. Those are he uses them in parallel. Paul, when he addresses um, just the carnality of men, that all men are sinners, in Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 30, he gives one of his typical Pauline lists of you know wicked behaviors, and he describes these people as being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, and then he goes on and on. Gossips and slanders appear right there side by side, and the point is is that gossips are those who speak about others in a bad light now we 're all the the, 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 the the tricky thing about gossip is sometimes you just fall into it and you don 't even realize it. I mean, we all talk about people all the time, and that 's fine. It's it's fine to say, oh, yeah, so-and-so is this, and they worked there, and they did that, and they did good. But see, the gossip is not just concerned about talking about them, but talking about them in a bad light. To tear them down before others, and it's either to get them out of the way, or to exalt their own self, or something like that. Paul, when he was writing to Titus about the older women, said that the older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not Diabolas, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Now, the third qualification is that they must be temperate. This is the same qualification required of an elder in verse 2. It basically means sober-minded, level-headed, somebody who is able to behave in a godly manner and that they are to have a character that uh, when life situations happen, they don't fall apart. They are trusting in God, they are walking with the Lord, and they are doing what is right. And the fourth and final qualification is that they must be faithful in all things. Now when I read that, those kind of qualifications are scary, aren't they? Because you think to yourself, oh, is this after they die and go to heaven? I mean, that's what I think, you know, so when, do we, when are we all faithful in all things? I mean, you know, when we die, it seems, Well, it's not talking about perfection here. It's talking about a pattern of their life. It's not saying that they've never messed up or they've never had any a tinge of unfaithfulness, but their life is characterized by a steady and persistent pattern of godly follow-through and faithfulness. And that's what he says, these women who serve alongside of deacons to minister to the needs of the saints are to be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, Faithful in all things, and Paul says that these are the kind of women that we need to appoint with the deacons so that the church will be blessed. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3, speaking to wives with disobedience husbands, tells them to win their husbands without a word. In other words, by their godly character. He says, don't go winning them by nagging them to death to be like the Proverbs woman that, you know, the constant drip on the rainy day. He says, win them without a word by your godly character. And he describes that godly character in these terms, chaste, respectful, focused on the hidden person of the heart, not obsessed with outward appearance, but having a gentle and quiet and submissive spirit, which he says is precious in the sight of God. So often in the church... The women who are appointed to ministries of high responsibility are anything but gentle, quiet spirits which are precious in the sight of God. They're often the aggressive, the assertive, the go getters, the ones who are grabbing for power, grabbing for position. He says, don't have those women serve. Get the ones who are chaste, who are respectful who are focused on the inner person of the heart, who have a gentle and quiet and submissive spirit. These are the women that you want to serve alongside the deacons to bless the church and minister to the saints. So, that's where we're going to end up today. Next week, we're going to look at the... or actually, in a couple weeks, I'm going to be gone next week. But when we come back, um, we're going to look at um, the last few qualifications and we're going to find out that being a deacon is not some sort of low-life, desperate position that you serve in. Paul says that those who serve as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So we'll be looking at that in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for being able to come this morning and study from your word. We thank you for the testimony of Christopher Parkening. We thank you that you have saved him and called him with a holy calling, not according to his works, but according to your own purpose and grace, which was granted him in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Father, we thank you that we were able to come here this morning and sing praises to your name. Father, as we leave here today, as we have all this information about deacons in our mind, may we remember that deacons are to be this way because they are models for the rest of the church, just like elders are. And even though we may not have a desire to be a deacon, we must have a desire to meet these qualifications because these qualifications are for all of us. We are all to be dignified and respectable and temperate and prudent and not malicious gossips. all holding to the mystery of faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Father, may we leave here today better encouraged and equipped to give glory to you and be a light to the world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great week.